0: Above yeah. the G1, and I know right. somebody that's, else might uh,
1: have. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the questions, a number of questions that we would ask, is what what's the end game? I mean, one, what is the timetable? That's probably the first question you really want to ask. The second question after that is, what are our roles going to be during this transition? Okay, because there's a lot of psychological, emotional things that go along with that. We can talk numbers and everything all day, but it does come down to somebody who has built a business. And in my case, we built it together, and it's hard to let go.
2: Hello, and welcome to Blue Spring Out Loud. I'm Stuart Silverman, and with me on today's show are special guests, Anne-Marie LeBeau of Bernard Wolfen Associates in Chevy Chase, Maryland, Brandon Hayes of Oxygen Financial in Atlanta, Georgia, and Roger David of Reinveld and David in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you all for coming. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. You all come with unique backgrounds, and today we're going to be talking about the experience of being a successor, or as what we refer to in this business as a G two. And as we know, Roger, we've learned G twos can be anywhere from early thirties to late fifties and everything in between. It just means you're taking over fir- over a firm and you're ultimately succeeding and being the managing partner of the firm. Uh, and again, I know especially with the three of you knowing you well, you have really unique and interesting backgrounds. So as we said, you're all G2s and successors at your firm. With this in mind, how are you working with your predecessors to prepare for your respective futures? Because you're each starting to take on and evolve into different roles.
0: I'll start with that one. Um, I think that you know, it's probably twofold. Um, part of it's obviously identifying the client base. Um, seeing who you got to be in front of um, is super important. I think the big thing for me was there's so much more staff-wise and management-wise that you don't realize, you know, the the, ca- the conversations and the chitter, 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 chitter chatter that happens in the office, um, you know, and just understanding, you know, that just what happens behind the scenes, um, learning how to manage people uh, is a big thing. Um, but definitely the client-based piece of segmenting the practice, knowing where to focus time, um, which clients you have to be on there on those meetings, and then also too, you know, what do you say in those meetings? What's the handoff like, and what's the discussion? What's your script? You know, what's he or she saying to make the next meeting better for you? And so we've talked through a lot of those things and and learned a lot, you know, through the process.
2: And we're going to get to that question because it's a big one. What do you say to clients? How do you hand them off? But I'd be curious again, the first question: how you're transitioning the role and? Yeah, no,
1: to parlay off of that, um, it was kind of three three parts for us. First, to make sure making sure that we get the story down and being consistent and concise so that clients understand exactly what's going on, understand the timetables, and then conveying that message together. That's probably been the most beneficial part of all of this is that uh, in our transition, we've not only done one meeting where we make the announcement, but we're continuing multiple meetings with the clients to allow them an opportunity to formulate any questions or concerns that they have. And over the multiple meetings that myself and, uh, uh, and my G1 are having, uh, it gives them the opportunity again to make sure that we're doing things that they felt comfortable with, during, over all these years, to make sure that I know that, and I can continue that, so that they feel you know comfortable and confident, and that the relationship is going to be a different person, but with everything they've come become used to, it won't change. How about you, Emery?
3: Uh, I think mine was probably a little different than these two gentlemen in the fact that I came in from the outside. So I was not already a part of the team and clients did not know me. So we really weren't talking about succession probably for the first two years because it was just important for me to be in every single meeting, on every single conference call, making sure that they were comfortable with who I was, the knowledge, my background, and getting to know them. It's really been in probably the last six to nine months that we're starting with what Brandon said is, Okay. who are the clients, who are the ones even after those two years I can already take on my own that Bernie doesn't need to be a part of, and then which ones are we going to slowly hand off over the next year or two, and, um, and then which ones are really tied to him, and what, and what the game plan is for that, because that's a little longer uh, of a process when we're talking about some of his clients that are also really good friends.
2: And the beauty, and it's interesting. I'm thinking about it. We've we've done another podcast on this episode where we talked to a firm where the founder stayed on and probably wants to stay on for years to come. Yet other firms, like yours, the founder might be changing their role or actually stepping out. So again, the, we're trying to be flexible with everybody. So I love your different perspectives, and I know you're in di- each in different situations. But what are the key questions you'd say someone should be asking if they're considering the possibility? of taking on a successor role, of becoming the ultimate management partner and helping that person transition out or into a different place in retirement or slowing down?
0: G2 should ask. Yeah. You know, I think what's expected of them um, is probably the biggest thing. And, you know, obviously G1s have identified somebody. And I tell people, you know, just learning over the years that, you know, my G1, you know, Ted Jenkins was watching me for years and, you know, basically identifying that maybe I could be that person one day you just don't know it until obviously you have the conversation. Um, but I think, you know, it's having the the tough questions, you know, like, am I ready for this? You know, that, that, you know, can you sit somebody in front of a a large client? Are you comfortable? Um, do you have the skills management wise to lead a team of 10, 15 folks, you know, as you grow? Um, so for me, it was a lot of the tough questions, you know, it's, you you know, if you're going to go in business with somebody, you know, you've got to make sure you get the tough part, you know, questions out of the way, you know, early on. So I think not being afraid to Talk through those, you know, not just the financial pieces of it, but the rest of it as well.
3: You know, I actually look at it from a different point of view, and part of it was because of my previous career. So I knew a lot of advisors who were trying to transition their business. What was you might want to talk about your career because it was an interesting one. So prior to coming to Bernard Wolf and Associates, uh, I was a wholesaler for um, BlackRock most recently, and I was in the wholesale role, calling on advisors, independent advisors in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area for 21 years. So I know a lot of the advisors in my territory and the problem I saw the most that I was kind of aware of coming into was having a G1 that wants to transition out of their business. They want to have an equitable event, right? They're looking to kind of get towards retirement, but then they really don't want to retire. So if you're being tapped to be a G2, you have to make sure that you're on the same page right. as to what that looks like and when the G1 is actually leaving or if they're not, right? Or because that's your, a big problem.
0: I think to your point, the bigger thing is is when can the G2 make a decision above yeah. the G1? And I know right. somebody that's, else might uh, have.
1: Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the questions, a number of questions that we would ask is what, what's the end game? I mean, one, what is the timetable? That's probably the first question you really want to ask. The second question after that is, what are our roles going to be during this transition? Okay, Because there's a lot of psychological, emotional things that go along with that. We can talk numbers and everything all day, but it does come down to somebody who has built a business, and in my case, we built it together, and it's hard to let go. And that's probably the biggest, the toughest part in all this is the person who is retiring or leaving letting go and saying now my whole life has been this what am i going to do now so the biggest challenge that we had which we did overcome through a number of conversations was defining those roles and how are those roles going to change over maybe a 24-month period
2: well a big part of this is learning from our mistakes from the successes and failures so i'd be curious having gone through it and i'm sure they were both as part of it what would you advise someone who's just starting this process or someone who's doing a meaningful full transaction and being acquired and merging two practices or merging a G1 and G2, what would you tell them to think about and what should they be doing proactively?
1: Probably the biggest thing, I know it's very general, is just communication. Let's have a discussion about it, let's talk about it. Yeah. What is this gonna mean, right? Um, because there's so many things that, are, that could be left unsaid or things that are held back in this relationship as you transition. So just sitting down and saying, look, we really need to get together. We need to be adults about this. We need to figure out and have a conversation of not just what are we going to do, how are each of us going to feel about different things that are done? And you might say, well, you're not worried about feelings. Feelings play a big part of this. It affects not only your relationship with the G1 and G2, it also affects the relationship with our staff and what they perceive and what they feel.
0: Yeah, I think that the faster the G1 can actually put, you know, the G2 in a position of leadership, even before a transaction takes place, you know, knowing that something is going to happen eventually, if you're going to be that person, um, it can help because when it shifts all of a sudden and something, you know, a deal has happened, and all of a sudden the staff's looking at you like a deer like in the headlights, like saying, oh my gosh, Brandon's my guy now, you've got to make sure that they have, they have the confidence in you to basically lead, you know, the organization or, you know, soon to be. Um, so that's a big one, I think, you know, and I think the second thing we kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, when you're in front of clients, making sure to your point, you know, you have a message down and not meeting with clients until the G2 and the G1 have synced up on that and communicated how that's going to be relayed what's happening. Otherwise the client's going to say, who's this branding guy and why is he sitting here?
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I was going to comment to that as well in the transition with Bernie. He did a lot of the talking and I would kind of come in more from the investment side because that was my background. But as we get closer and closer to a possible completion, it's really important that I sit him down every once in a while and say, you know what, you do the introduction, let me run the meeting. You know, it's not that he can't jump in and comment, but you have to see that shift in ownership of the meeting itself.
1: Yeah, if I could. One other thing, too, that we did, it was just because we ran the firm like a firm, and we knew that there was going to be a succession plan between my G1 and myself, is that I was put out at the front of every event, every workshop, a lot of the educational things that we did, so people became aware of who I was. And that helped tremendously in the transition uh, period when we're actually making the announcement to say, well, we kind of figured that's what's gonna that was that was what was gonna happen. We've known Roger for quite some time. We've seen him about and got to know him. That was if you have the time, that's the key thing to do. So if you have the relationship, you know it's gonna be the one. Start a couple years before the actual transition and get that G two out there.
2: And that takes a lot of adjustment from both sides. As someone who's built a business and had to hand the reins off. You start to learn, I have to take a back seat. I have to let someone else control the meaning and manage it. But I love it because you've each done it differently and started to show your clients in whether it's indirect ways or more direct ways. The question I have is what happens when you get pushback, when you have a client who might have an emotional attachment to your predecessor, to the founder of the firm, to, to the person you're taking over for? What, have you run into that? And-
3: yeah, we have a little bit. And quite honestly, I think that really falls on the G1 a bit. And one of the things that Bernie ha- has done, and actually it came from our meeting that we had as a group last year, and that he will tell them, you know, Anne manages my money and I have full confidence right. that she's going to be able to handle all your questions and everything else, you know, that may come up down the road if I'm not available.
0: Yeah. There's no, I don't think there's any set, you know, guideline or template. You know, I think that's the biggest thing because you're talking about, people and emotions and money. <laughs> and so it's not going to be every client's just going to come over to the G2. So I think the the folks that are more attached to the G1s, you just need to understand that it might take some time and massaging, or you might have to find a way for the G2 to relate to that person or get, get them out of the office or, you know, send them something, you know, out of the blue, you know, handwritten note, as you know, from you as a new G2 that, you know, like, oh, wow, that was really nice. Or, you know, just the small things because you know some of these you know people have gone to the G1 for 10 15 years and i mean those are they've got hundreds of hours together so it just takes time you know some people are going to be easier than than others and some people get it like they kind of know what's happening other folks are resistant against it so you got to you got to you know be careful how much you push back as well
1: yeah for us a year before the uh, actual transition meetings began we had clients fill out uh, information on fun facts just personal things about them and we had those in the file we were, they were reviewed before I went in the meetings with my G1 and enabled me to get uh, you know a, a pretty clear picture of what was important to them and um, a little bit more about them personally, which was very beneficial. And then in the transition meetings, I began writing the follow-up emails to the clients along with some of the uh, personal introductions and things. It was great seeing you in the meeting um, and became more the point person. And we even split up some of the review meetings to where uh, the G1 did some of the technical stuff. And then I was able to do maybe more of the planning type of things with the client and uh, let them understand that, hey, what's important to me and uh, how things may be a little bit different going forward and what am I concerned about for them and their success.
2: It Kind of makes me think about the psychological aspect of this. You probably deal with this with clients. I don't know if it relates totally or not, but you help clients go through the psychology of retiring you, sell, you help clients go through the psychology of selling a business. Does that relate at all? Can you draw a parallel when you talk to clients and sort of help it make it more understandable so they can see it? Or does that not really relate?
0: Um, I think it depends. You know, I think some clients that are business owners get it, you know. But for a personal, just a personal wealth client, I think it might be a little more tricky to explain to them kind of what's going uh-huh. on and why. Um, having to be more transactional might not be in your favor. But some people that are business owners, I think you can have the conversation and say, listen, your goal right. as a business owner is to sell this thing one day. And you know what? I'm fortunate enough to have Brandon here and he's going to take care, good care of you. And I'm still going to be here for a while. Don't get me wrong. You know, so I think that's, you know, you just got to be careful on how you position it, how it comes across, you know, emotionally and psychologically for those clients.
2: Makes sense, actually. The business owner looks at it differently than the individual who's been an employee.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us and part of the transition meeting we stressed was, we shared the same values. So as far as you know, what we cared about, um, as it related to them, it was the same. There may be a few little nuances here that are a little bit different in how we do things, but at the end of the day, the purpose is to take care of them. And that resonated very well.
2: What part of this whole process has been most challenging for each of you?
0: I'll go first. Um, there's, you know, there's been a lot. I mean, it's, it's not easy. You know, I think, uh, for me, the biggest thing is, you know, I tell folks that I'm a professional juggler, you know, because I mean, any business owner is anyways, but you know, just because of the nature of all the things that you are now in control of and responsible for staff. And, you know, you have to make sure you watch yourself around other staff people to make sure they feel appreciated and all the small things before you didn't have to worry about as much because your G one was taking care of those things behind the scenes. Um, And I think, you know, just having a a system in place, you know, each week, having certain time slots for meetings, still having a personal life can be tricky, obviously, when you're trying to move a whole business to yourself. But I think just knowing what's important, obviously, your clients are probably, you know, your staff's most important to your clients and taking care of them, taking care of yourself physically and emotionally, um, for me, has been really important.
3: Yeah, I think for me it was just everything. (laughs) Because when I started – the transition happened right after I started and I was not aware that there would be wow. that kind of transition. So it came really fast. So I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose for about a year and a half, trying to see hundreds of clients, get to know them, get to see them, um, as well as learn the staff, learn how to run a business, um, you know, do the things that my G1 doesn't like to do um pretty quickly. So I think for that it was just it was just a lot going on and I think one of the benefits for me was the G1 G2 group that came out of Blue Spring because I've had these guys to kind of talk to and and get that help from their perspective. But that was and still is. I mean it's still a lot, but I come from a corporate world where everything is a process, it's repeatable. So I just started creating Mm -hmm. how the meeting was gonna go, what documents we have to have in the client meeting, more so for myself than it was for my G1 because I didn't know them. So we were putting like synopsis on notes and what all their accounts look like. And so I was doing a lot of that kind of work that now has become a standard for how we do meetings.
1: I'd, I'd probably say the most challenging to use, I guess a racing term is staying in your lane. Um, so the predefined roles, the predefined responsibilities, and then, you know, uh, every once in a while, the overlap of that and uh, our duplication of that. That's probably been the most challenging, and that's where the communication comes into play. And You can't let it go, and you have to address it and talk it through. And once you talk it through, you know, everything is okay.
2: If you think about it, it's three different constituencies you're dealing with. You're dealing with the founder of the firm and their mental psyche and all the transitioning of roles and each of you adjusting, you're dealing with your clients and how you communicate it to them, and how you take over many more of the direct relationships, and you're dealing with your staff. So it is a, a very big job. I know we have this uh, the, the successor academy we've built, and I know you're all in it at different stages, and two of you are in one class and one in the other. love to get your take on how that's helped, what you've learned, any of the biggest takeaways. I know it's pretty intense, but I'm curious to just get some feedback on that.
3: I like the content. I think the content's been fantastic to make you think about things a little differently, whether it's how you create the bonus, how you write a, a job description, um, how you create career paths for your staff, because obviously you want them to be able to grow and contribute more to the firm and help that firm grow. Um, Meet and Roger probably was one of the best things that came out of it. <laughs> wow. He and I, I feel become, the same
1: way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he and I have become great friends and You know we're there to kind of help each other through kind of the rough spots or get ideas from or you know maybe just listen um so that support group it's almost like our own little study group that we've now created with you know a couple of the others and that's probably been extremely helpful
1: yeah that is very beneficial i mean i've been doing this for over 25 years but still you get in a certain mode you get a certain rhythm and you don't look at things outside of the box necessarily being able to talk to Anne-Marie and bounce things off, and just, like she said, have a conversation. Probably one of the greatest things with the program that, uh, that you've all put together for us is we've gone through all kinds of coaching over 25 years. And a lot of times with that coaching, what happens is you guys need to do this. And then we're off the call or we're off the podcast or, or off the web conference and, okay, well, how do we do that? What are the tools and what are the guidelines that go along with that? The one thing that you've done in this program has been unbelievably great is you're giving us the tools to do it and giving us direction on what we need to do once we leave. And so many times in coaching, we've gone back to the office yeah, kind of let it go. But with the content and with the direction that you've given us, we're able to implement these things very quickly and effectively.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty new. So I just had my first class recently um, in Austin. and. Um you know, I think it's important, just what I've seen so far is, you know, company, we're small, obviously small companies and looking at, you know, vision, mission, values, there are things they take for granted, but the rest of your staff is looking for you and the rest of the team to have something that you're all going in the same direction. And so the first, our first few days was awesome. I mean, our team is from all over the country, um, different shapes and sizes of RAs and, you know, different folks um, in the industry. And so, so far, I mean, just learning from those folks after those three days has been great. Um, and I'm excited. Our case study is awesome. It's, you know, we're merging two companies together and the things that go in that with culture and, you know, so we're already doing working on it and meeting and I'm excited for the next two, year, you know, the next two years and, you know, kudos to you guys, what you guys have built, you know, the G2, you know, Leadership Academy is, is top notch.
1: If I could, I mean, one other thing too that really struck me was when we went through the value and the culture of the firm, but one of the main points was, what's your purpose? You guys actually asked him, what's your purpose? And when we went back to the office, we had to think about that for a little bit. We really had to take some time to figure out what is our purpose, right? And that was very effective in allowing us to come together as a firm to collaborate on that and actually define it
2: all together. And you and I have talked about this. You take a lot of things back. I know your staff probably thinks, uh-oh, Roger's going to another meeting. What's he bringing <laughs> home for us? Has <laughs> that happen?
1: It has. I mean, but the wonderful thing in all that is it used to be top-down with us, and probably the, one of the greatest things that I've learned in going to these conferences is i got to change my way. I can't just have my way and say, well, I think I know what's best. And probably the best content, the best strategies, um, the best processes that we've ever developed have been in the last year and a half when I've brought these things back and said, you know what, guys, we're all going to be involved in this thing. And you gave us the tools and direction with the speakers that you brought in to tell me, hey, here's how you need to kind of step back and let them take ownership and that has been probably some of the best things that we've ever done when the staff has actually taken ownership and got much more involved than it was before.
2: I, uh, one of the questions I asked a couple of minutes ago, what was most challenging about this? I'd be unfair to not say what's been most rewarding about this change and getting, getting into this new role.
0: I mean, for me, a lot of it's the flip side, you know, it's like when you have um, you know the staff support and, and confidence and you can see it coming together where you empower them to make decisions and things that before they were afraid to do um you know having confidence in front of big clients you know and I mean, not saying I was ever afraid but knowing I could sit in front of a client that's got 10 plus million dollars and I can do it and and so I think just having the confidence both internally and externally I think is big um, and it's just rewarding to know that you know over time it you know, it's every, little, every day is a step in the right direction, you know, and just making sure you're, you're both headed in the same direction is important.
3: Yeah, I would, I would probably echo that. I think having the ability to make a difference in a client's life, finding the little things that maybe weren't seen before because you have a different point of view, coming into it and meeting with those clients. And I think what I'm most excited about going forward is just all the things that we and the staff as we work more collaboratively, can make the practice even better. It's already great. It's already successful. But there are so many other things that I think are, you know, we have a very diverse office that can bring to the table and really take it to a new level.
1: Uh, the thing that I've loved the most is that clients have commented in our tra- during our transition to say, you know, we're very thankful that you guys took this amount of time to do this and we feel confident and comfortable. But, I mean, we've had repeated compliments on, wow, that took a lot of time. You put a lot of thought and effort into that. And we appreciate that because now we understand how much we mean to you. And we've had that comment quite a bit. So that's probably the most rewarding thing we've heard in the last 18 months.
2: So one of the things we can all identify with, we've talked about the fact that G2s can be all different ages and stages. But we as an industry have done a terrible job of attracting the next generation. I think 11% of the industry is 40 or under, which is shocking to me. And part of what we're trying to do at Blue Spring is attract more of that next generation of future leaders. What advice would you actually give to those up-and-coming potential G2s, potential successors, things maybe you wish you had learned earlier, wish you had thought about, things that would put you in a position that you're in now where you're actually running very substantial money management, asset management, financial planning firms?
0: I think for me, I think, you know, we all identify people in our team or maybe people externally that we would love to have on our team and um, just empowering them to, to make sure they understand that, like, they could be that person one day, even if you just make it a dream of theirs, you know? And so I think, you know, letting your staff dream a little bit, like, hey, you could be the next person in this practice. Um, and I think, too, not, you know, not waiting for the perfect person. Um, you know, we've had interns that we've hired that have been phenomenal. We hired full-time and I think a few of them could you know, end up being big players in our practice and have big roles. And so I think just, you know, not, you know, it doesn't happen overnight and developing staff internally. Um, there is definitely a shortage of people that are out there that are going to be qualified. And my biggest belief is that if somebody is that good of an advisor, they're probably not going to leave their firm. And so you have to, you know, develop them internally or, you know, find somebody who, who's very green and pour your heart and soul into them. And you know what, if, if they leave, then you probably did something wrong. So you gotta hope that they trust you and they stay on with you. But I'm a big believer in starting with somebody who's younger and uh, and growing in them the right way, instilling the values in them early on, and then you know showing them, hey, you could run this thing one day, why not? And I think that's what's exciting for us.
3: Yeah, I think you have to encourage people to own it, right? You, I think some of, when they're young and newer in the business, they're they're a little afraid to make a mistake or to fail at something and you have to create a culture that's supportive that allows people to make mistakes or to fail at something that they've tried and then encourage them to keep going they have to be you know mentored and encouraged to to push themselves right because we're going to be looking for the G3s at some point and we want to see people who you know are go-getters who go out of their way to do something new or do something different or take something on within the office that we didn't even ask them to do. And, and I think those are the types of people that you're gonna to wanna to look for.
1: And again, what Anne Marie said is perfect. I mean, the one statement I would make to them, don't be afraid to fail, it's gonna be okay. And uh, once you've done that, and once they understand that it's gonna be okay to fail, then you're going to get the best out of them because they're going to be more innovative. They're going to be more forthcoming to provide other ideas Whether they work or whether they don't, they know that we're becoming G ones that the G one's not going to say, Hey, at the next review, you know, Hey, you failed, right? Actually, that'd be a positive in a review for me and say, Hey, you failed, but you got back up and we turned it around. Great job. That's what we want to see. That's what's going to be uh, some, the most effective leader in the organization going forward someone that's willing to do that
0: I don't know about you guys but you know pretty pretty quickly after our transaction i I brought the team aside and I said hey guys just so you know I'm going to need somebody just like Ted did and I'm gonna be looking at all of you every day see how you act do you go above and beyond and that's how we identify those individuals Do you make the process better do you make our clients happier um, and I think that them hearing that early on literally the first week of the transaction they're like oh there's opportunity here still, you know, and that's, they, they need to have that motivation, I think.
2: That's great advice. I hadn't heard of anybody doing that, but the staff is so critical. You've all stressed this, making them feel good. They're, you're a team. They have to feel part of this. And, I mean, for a, for a team like yours or all of yours or anyone we work with, it's actually a succession plan for them or it shows that they're going to have perpetuity in their job because we're buying these firms and investing in these firms because we believe in them. And we want to grow these firms and build big regional hubs around them. So hopefully they see that, and they see that career opportunity for them as well. It
1: also gives you a great opportunity to see who is going to step up and say, we're going to offer some additional responsibility. And we believe in you and being able to do that. And then you get to see where people are really coming from. And it's not all about the dollars and cents. It's about them feeling valued. It's about you putting the trust and confidence in them to take on these additional responsibilities. And when that happens, that combination happens, and all of a sudden you've got somebody that doesn't have a job, that has a career, and they're looking at this thing and saying, hey, I want to be part of something bigger than me. And we've seen it in our firm. It's been amazing. Again, it comes a lot from the uh, G1, G2, or G2 training that we've, we've had, but it really is exciting to see when people get excited about their job and understand, boy, I want to be a part of this.
2: Unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun, or maybe fortunately, (laughs) but with that, we're going to be wrapping up, but I'm going to open the mic and just say anything else you would add, any piece of advice for a a potential successor, a G1, a G2, a founder, because we keep learning, and we learn more from you all who are going through it every day and dealing with the the challenges and the learning curve.
0: I think my recommendation is, you know, for those folks that are out there that are solo practitioners, and you're in a bigger group or you might want to be with a larger group one day, you know, you have to always keep learning. You know, there's other people out there that are bigger and better than you and pick their brain, don't ever stop learning. There's so much practice management in our business. And so when you do get to that point, when you have a chance to buy into a firm or you already know how to structure it, you know how to deal with it, you built your own business. And so don't be shy about reaching out to folks that have done it before you.
1: Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest things is offer some of the training that we have received as G2s to those that are just getting started. I mean, there's things that I've learned in the G2 process that, man, I wish somebody would've told me those things 25 years ago. And start cultivating that and, and bring them up through the ranks with that training and with that knowledge.
3: I think mine's communication. I think communication is key to everything that we do, whether it's the G2 to the G1, setting up regular meetings, making sure you're on track for a transition, it's communication with the staff, what, you're, what you want from them, what you're trying to build together, getting them to communicate back. And I think from some of the leadership things that we've done lately too is really understanding the words you use and how you use them. So it's not just about the act of communication, but how you communicate. Great point. And one of Great the things point. that we just learned actually last week was, you know, what's the experience that you're trying to, you know, create with this communication and, and that's mm-hmm. so important to know going into it, whether it's a staff meeting, whether it's a meeting with a client, whether it's calling the G2 or G1 out on something because it wasn't quite what you agreed on or whatever the case never may happens. be. Yeah, never, <laughs> ever. But if it did, it's, it's really thinking about how you want to communicate so that you get the result that you're actually looking for.
2: So you do know this is being recorded, so they will know when you're calling them out. But, oh, yeah. uh, Either way, no, that was, that's great advice in the communication All of you. I mean, your input's incredible. Unfortunately, that's all for today's episode of Blue Spring, Blue Spring Out Loud. Uh, I want to thank all three of you for your time, for your input, for your passion, for your advice. I think I, I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Speaking of which, we hope that everybody joins us next time, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, and that way you never miss an episode. But again, thank you so much, and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Thanks Stuart.
1: Thank you.